like, why such a secret? I, I guess that's the paradox here is like, secrets are bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I guess, but I'm not bad. So how could this be bad? I understand apprehension and, you know, and I'm a self-sufficient woman. I'm not looking for a new family. I'm not looking for anything other than to answer curiosity that I have. If a relationship should develop, I'm open to that, but the likelihood of it happening is really small. (laughs) Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? a podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and I'm about to introduce you to Lisa. We connected right before she was going to meet her biological father for the first time and a cousin she's completely enamored with. Lisa shared that she was adopted as an infant into a failing marriage where divorce soon followed. While other people outwardly noticed how different she looked from her brother, she considered him her brother no matter what, despite her status as an adoptee. But after everyone passed away, Lisa felt like she was finally free to pursue connections to her birth family. I would normally share a bit about her reunion here, but we don't know anything yet. So I'll simply say, this is Lisa's journey so far. Now, normally my guests fill out a brief form with some background information about themselves, so I usually go into an interview with at least a high-level understanding of what kind of adoption story they've lived. In this case, Lisa reached out cold and asked if we could do a before and after like she heard in episode 168, A Vein of Gratitude, with another adoptee, also named Lisa. So you and I are going to learn about Lisa together, just one day before one of her biological reunions. So we're in this moment where you're, how many days before meeting your biological father? Jeez, it's 24 hours. Is that right? So it's tomorrow. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's tomorrow, but I have another meeting tonight that I'm really looking forward to, which is biological cousin Mm -hmm. who is also adopted. His bio father and my bio father are brothers. And he was adopted at birth as well. And I matched with him initially via Ancestry.com. And he is six months ahead of me in this process. And he and I, I feel such a connection to this guy. <laughs> that we, we come from the same genetic pool. Both of us, we found out, were secrets. And our, on the paternal side, both of our fathers come from a family of 13. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and we were secret. You know, I'm 52, and Jeff is in his mid-40s. So for that long, we were secrets. It's amazing. So I get to meet him tonight, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Awesome. I'm super excited. I feel a bond with this man that I, is very hard to describe. <laughs> yeah, that's really, yeah. really cool. So you guys are yeah. first cousins. Your fathers are brothers. Correct. Awesome. Yes. Cool. Yes. Well, thank you for that clarification, because it sounds like you've got just a huge weekend. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. And this is just the paternal side. Oh, my gosh. So this is (laughs) it's September. We're in the middle of September right now. And you're at this pivotal moment of meeting biological relatives. But I want you to take a step back now. We're going to go back to the beginning. I want you to tell me. Let's go back. What was your childhood like in adoption? What was what was your family structure? Where did you grow up? Sure. 
So I was adopted at birth. I've always known that I was adopted. I was born in December of 69, so the tail end of the 60s, into family, a mother and father. I have had a sibling, and he was a natural born, my brother, and he was 12 years older than me when I was adopted. So that was by, you know, my family growing up. My parents got a divorce when I was four. (laughs) I grew up in a a small college town in Missouri where both my parents taught. They were academics. And yeah, the divorce at four really kind of ripped that family apart because two years later, my mom and I moved from Missouri to San Diego and my brother moved away to go to college at UC Santa Cruz. So everything I had known for the first six years of my life really got disrupted when my mom and I moved to the West Coast. We had no family in San Diego. It was just her and I. My brother, who I idolized, was many miles away, and my father stayed in Missouri. Mm. So that was was my, my formative years. There was a lot of child custody battles between my parents, so Mm. I was shuffled between San Diego and my father's numerous times up until ninth grade where I, I stayed permanently with my mom, San Diego. And I haven't left San Diego. I'm, I still live there. Oh, okay. Day. Oh, good. So, I, I yeah. neglected to ask you where you called me from, which is something I, pre- I usually do. And now, oh. right now I'm in Kansas city. That's where this meeting's taking place. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah. So I grew up always knowing I was adopted. I was never treated any differently. I had several friends growing up that were also adopted in this small college town. Come to find out there was a home nearby for unwed mothers. Hmm. I had a childhood friend who his parents and my parents were friends and he and I were born on the same day in the same town and we're both adopted and for many years we thought we might be twins there's some some similarities in our characteristics and what we look like and stuff there was nothing that said it was a, a dual birth or that we were twins but and that's, so that's, that's my remarkable though like isn't that crazy think, yeah. and we're still friends today how, how do you know this person he and i went to nursery school elementary junior high school together <laughs> And his parents and my parents were friends. They were all academics. Mm, yeah, mm, it was mm. <laughs> so amazing. And he since found his lineage. So, yeah, it's craziness. Lisa said she was always fine talking about adoption, and it was never a secret in her home. There was never any shame with her being adopted, and sometimes people would ask about her adoption, so she would just share what she knew. Her birth parents were in college, and when her birth mother got pregnant, she didn't want to keep the baby. In her adoptive family, nearly everyone is an academic. There are lots of PhDs, and they get involved in political causes, but Lisa said she never fit that mold. She said learning was always difficult for her, and Lisa wondered if she might have been diagnosed with an attention deficit when she was younger. And so there was always that a huge chasm between what my brother was capable of and what I was capable of. And it wasn't, you're not as good as your brother or do, do like your brother does, but it was very transparent to me. You know, he was valedictorian. He went to med school, but it was very apparent that, that I was not achieving to his level. He was an Eagle Scout. Da, 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 da. So mm-hmm. I, I always felt that difference. 
Yeah. So, May I ask, yeah. forgive me, just go back sure. on clear, clarification. Is he uh-huh. biological to your parents or he was adopted Correct. as well? He, he, no, he's biological. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, very mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it is and interesting come, to see those differences. You're right. Go ahead. And I've come to learn that probably my adoption was an attempt at saving a marriage. <laughs> oh, really? My parents kept correspondence when they they've all since died but there's correspondence from them from before i was born about their shitty marriage oh (laughs) really wow yeah and i think i always kind of had this notion like you guys adopted me and then four years later you get divorced like come on yeah (laughs) you know you couldn't have tried a little longer Mm. so there there's some of those feelings there yeah and you Uh, know it's interesting you've you've said that you've listened to a lot of shows and I don't know if you've come across this yet, but there is definitely a theme in certain adoptions that the baby is meant to be a Band-Aid. It's intended to heal yes. something that uh-huh, uh-huh. is, you know, you can't heal things that way, right? You have yeah. to deal with <laughs> we know what that. is right. You have to deal with At what's hand. in front of you. And then proceed with growing your family or, you know, dividing it if that's what you decide to do or what have you. But the idea that you would just bring in another person and say, all right, we're fixed is not going (laughs) to bond people back together. (laughs) Anybody who has ever had a child, cared for a child more than an hour, recognizes that children are a lot of work. And it's not going to alleviate any burden. You might find that you've dug into more love in your heart than you realized you had, but it's not going to make your life any simpler. That is for damn sure. Well, and then being a single mother and moving, you know, 1500 miles away to a city that, you know, nobody, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's admirable, but yeah. talk about be, you want to make things as difficult as possible. Yeah. And I think that was the big conflict for my parents is that my dad's first tenure track position was, at this university in Missouri. And she always wanted to go back to California because that's where they both grew up. Well, he was happy where he was. And, you know, that's what he ended up teaching there for 42 years. So she went back to California. She got what she wanted. But I think it was much, much harder than she ever anticipated or expected. Yeah. Yeah. Single parenting is challenging in and of itself. But single parenting, absent a network of people, your village you know, oh my, they say yeah, it takes exactly. a village we to raise no a village. child. Exactly. You have no village. It's going to be a village of one. Difficult. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I have a lot of admiration for her looking back at what she did. Speaking with Lisa, I wasn't sensing that she had a burning desire to search for her biological relatives. So I asked about whether she felt like she fit in as an adoptee and what made her decide to search. Lisa said there were two instances she could recall where she was reminded clearly of being an adoptee. One was in 10th grade, in biology class, where they were learning about the color of our eyes as a shared trait between parents and children. We're doing these little, I don't know, squares where you filled in kind of like a DNA or something. And I was having difficulty, and the teacher's like, well, what color are your mom's eyes? Blue. What color are your dad's eyes? Green. And I have brown. And they're like, well, that doesn't fit. (laughs) And I know I'm adopted, but at that time, I didn't want to have to say, to the teacher, well, I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. So that was very, that was very glaring. And then there was another time in my early 20s when I met a friend of my brother's and they were, we were sitting across the table and she's all, you guys don't look anything alike. He has blue eyes and you have brown eyes. And that, of course, we don't look alike. I'm adopted. But it struck something in me that, 
wow, there people notice this outward difference. But to me, it's my brother, mm-hmm. period, Gen- whether we look alike or not. And we had a very, very close relationship, very close. Mm-hmm. And I and I credit him with having the most stability in my life growing up. You know, between my parents and him, he was the most stable. Mm-hmm. He really took me under his wing when he was in college and my mom needed a break from me. I'd fly up to San Francisco for the weekend. Yeah, he was he was fantastic. I think he felt bad for my situation. You know, he knew my parents didn't have a good marriage before they adopted me. I'm sure he felt what the heck are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've identified him as a smart guy. So it sounds like he was both in book smart intelligence and emotionally intelligent to recognize yes. that his child was bouncing back and forth between his parents. Yeah. That yes. Like, what did you guys do to this poor child? Yeah. I, I, he he really was an advocate for me growing up. That you know, they'd right. be bickering about me, and he'd be the the one of sound mind. You know, you're not talking about a piece of property, a house, or a car. You're talking about a kid here. Yeah, good for you. Him. Know. That's really oh, yeah. cool. Yes. Because that's one of our challenges, right? Is we don't have advocates absent our parents. It, if they're not playing the role, then who's going to do exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. And he was wow. mature. And, you know, the age difference helped. Mm-hmm, he sure. was 12 years older. So he had that maturity to be able to assume and, and take that role. So. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So what, what then was the catalyst for you to decide to search? For oh, biology? goodness. So. Like many of your your other listeners, I'm sure that my curiosity of who do I look like traits to to some extent medical history. I don't have any serious medical problems, but now that I've crossed the threshold of fifty, <laughs> you know, you you tend to look into that a little closer. And then I never had all I ever as a kid really wanted to find out was a picture, and I always thought of my birth mother would be in that picture. I never really had any thought or inklings about my birth father. And then Missouri changed their birth certificate laws. I want to say 2018, maybe ish. And I was like, Oh, they've made it easier. And at that time, my parents were alive. I did discuss. And now when I say parents, I'm speaking of my father and stepmother. (laughs) I got to clarify that. I discussed with them, you know, Missouri's changed the laws. They were very supportive as I knew they would be. They net their only fear for me would have been, we don't want you to be hurt or disappointed. So I had discussed it with them. And then in March of 2020, my dad dropped dead. Mm. And my mother had already died seven years prior to that. And that left me with my stepmother in a memory care in Missouri and my brother and I both living on the West Coast. And I started thinking, hmm, well, maybe I'll I'll request my my original birth certificate. Hmm. Six months later, my stepmother died. So that would have been September of 2020. And I had printed out the paperwork to send in. The problem was it has to be notarized. And I'm like, really? You got to go through this extra step. You can't just mail in the form and get a birth certificate back. And then in March of 2021, the big shocker was my brother dropped dead of aneurysm. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? So now everybody's wiped out. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck, I don't have anything to lose. I I don't have anybody to hurt. I don't have anything to worry about. It's all about me. So, in 2021, Lisa requested the trifecta, 
her birth certificate from the state of Missouri. She submitted a DNA sample to 23andMe and submitted her information to Ancestry.com, basically all at the same time. 23andMe was the first to come back with a match to a paternal uncle. Lisa later found out her biological father is one of 13, so this paternal connection was only a small piece in a larger pie. It took some time to narrow down that her birth father must have been one of four brothers on that side of the family. Lisa also matched with a half-brother on her maternal side, the oldest of her birth mother's three other children, and the man had no idea Lisa existed, so he was kind of freaked out about their connection. And so initially he was very open, but then basically when I said, uh, your mother is my biological mother, all contact stopped. <laughs> Mm. And I did send him an email saying, hey, I'm going to reach out to to your mother. I just, is there any reason I shouldn't? Like a health issue because, you know, I don't want to cause any issues for her. And he, he sent back a reply. You're right. I didn't know about you. This is a lot to swallow. I did speak to my mom and she said that she doesn't want to have any contact. So I kind of put that to the side. Mm. And, you know, it was like ran with what I have for the on the paternal side. And then I got my ancestry.com back. Then I matched with my cousin on the paternal side. And who else did I match with? There was two people on that side as well. I don't know who the other one was, but yeah. So that took off. I communicated with this uncle that didn't know about me. He wanted to wait for sure until I got the, the birth certificate, which came last out of all these <laughs> things mm. to, to confirm who which one of his brothers was my biological father. And so I got that and he confirmed it. Yep. It's David. Wow. <laughs> and this uncle actually remembers my biological mother. He says, I remember her. I was 13, 14 or 15 when she would have been in my life. I still have a birthday card she gave me. <laughs> yeah, it was oh. random, but he didn't know about me. No clue. <laughs> so my questions for my birth father really center more around my birth mother. I want to know more about her. And I, I have conflict about that because I'm really not that interested in him. Other than physically, you know, characteristics and, hmm. and traits that I might, might be able to identify. But he didn't carry me for nine months. She did. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is a typical thing that I think a lot of adoptees go through is uh, an identification for the person who physically carried them and brought them into the world, right? There's... There's exactly. very different roles for mothers and fathers. Yeah. So yeah. you're very, very, you're, I think a lot of times people intimately attach themselves to the image of the mother, you know, Absolutely. unless they for some reason had an image given to them that they can't identify with. You know, if, if the True. narrative has been unfavorable on the mother, people will sometimes say, well, I don't need to find her then. I'll need to find my biological father. But so father. yeah, I'm with yeah. you 100% on, on wanting to locate her. Can I ask you, how did you end up getting in touch with him? Did your uncle put you in touch with him? How did that work? So when I matched with cousin Jeff, there were so many similarities. I think the poor family was like, what, there's another one we didn't know about? <laughs> <laughs> He had already linked up with many of the family members, had not met anybody yet, but had had conversations and correspondence. And he offered to link me with my birth father. How did it? And so 
there was a weekend where, where all these connections were made and I guess emails were flying around on the paternal side. So Jeff said, you know, I, I'm happy to give him your email address if you want. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. So he gave him my email address and David sent an email said saying, hello, I heard you've been looking for me. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, yes. So his wife and two children didn't know about me either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this poor man who's in his early 70s having to scroll and I'm like why such a secret I I guess that's the paradox here is like secrets are bad right Mm -hmm. I I guess but I'm not bad so how could this be bad I understand apprehension and you know and I'm a self-sufficient woman I'm not looking for a new family I'm not looking for anything other than to answer curiosity that I have if a relationship should develop I'm open to that but the likelihood of it happening is really small yeah yeah. I think you you have, you know, what so many other adoptees have expressed, the idea that they'd like information, you know, health history, maybe family history, photos of the people. But it's not much that we're usually asking for. There's exactly. – I feel like there's levels to it. There's the – There are. The base of the pyramid, which is just like basic information. Did I look like this person? You know, are our – personality similar do you have a picture of them and tell me about my medical and family history like that that general yeah. stuff that people live their lives usually knowing that we don't know yep and then yeah, i feel like it gets yeah it gets progressively deeper you as you've said want to know from your biological father more about your biological mother and the situation so that would suggest that you guys not only have found each other but are in deeper touch and are have reached a level of being able to have a discussion with each other. And then there's another level probably beyond that, which is, and I'm making this up as I go, but if I'm thinking about the image of a pyramid, probably the third level is this actual positive relationship, right? That is, you know, at the very least cordial and periodic and connected. And then probably at the pinnacle is like, oh, my God, I can't believe I lived my life without this person and we are so tight, right? <laughs> that would clearly be yeah, the, the, yeah. the top triangle. And I think for me, for me at this point, I haven't even met the guy, but for me, that would be Cousin Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. feel like I I feel bad when we, we correspond because I'm like, I cannot wait to meet you. He's all, I'm not that exciting. I'm like, well, you're exciting to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah, I've never felt this way before. That's it, it's amazing. It's so exciting. Yeah. I'm like, can't you get here already? Lisa told me Jeff's birth mother has passed away and his birth father, Lisa's paternal uncle, is in a memory care home. So parts of Jeff's story are missing for him too. Lisa invited Jeff to join her on her journey so he could learn as she was learning and get some answers about himself from her reunion experience. She told me she subscribes to StoryWorth, a platform that lets you capture stories from your loved ones, asking them one question at a time. You pose your question about a situation or a time in your loved one's life, and they respond with as much detail as they like. At the end of a year of correspondence, StoryWorth sends you a book of your loved one's documented responses. Lisa gifted StoryWorth to her biological father, David, for Christmas, thinking it would be a really interesting way to learn about him. It's been revealing in many ways. Mm -hmm. The last question he answered was, how did you feel when you heard through the grapevine that I was looking for you? And his reply was, 
I don't know, probably 12 paragraphs, the longest reply he's done for any question, hmm. where he basically said he is devoid of emotion. It's very hard for him to identify feelings, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you jerk. You didn't have even an oh shit moment. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you didn't throw me a bone. <laughs> yeah, right. And I was really angry. And I replied to him basically saying that, you know, after 52 years and a, a secret's been revealed, you hadn't, you have nothing for me. Mm-hmm. He hasn't replied, but yeah, I found myself being really angry with his, his reply. I had also asked him a question. How did you feel after your first child was born? Me being his first child. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was a one word answer. And I don't even think he was referring to me. It said tired. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't. Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's yeah. really tough because it's this is a thing. Some of that is generational, where guys were not encouraged right. nor taught how to identify their feelings and and live in them. They were feelings are meant to be suppressed so that you can be tough and strong. And you know, and I appreciate you pointing that out because I, I don't think I give him that slack. Yeah, I'm I'm th- I'm thinking of current current day and age, you know, and I'm also thinking of. Um, you men that I've been close to in my family that would probably have at least a one word answer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'm comparing them to that, but yeah, I do yeah. give, I do have to cut the man a little slack. So yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot in there. There's the generational thing. There's also the, you may technically be his first child, but in his mind for the he last, doesn't view how it many, that way. yeah, but for, for in his mind for the last, however many years, you know, 49 and a half, his first child is the one that he witnessed the birth of, right? And so right. your question comes... The one that made him tired. Yeah, exactly. Your <laughs> yeah, question yeah. comes in a way that doesn't acknowledge what his reality was before this moment. You know right. what I mean? And so... Yeah, he's... Yeah. In any, and he may... I don't know how you worded the question. If you had said, how did you feel when you when learned I that born. I was born... That's a different question than for him, from his perspective, how did you feel when your first child was born? Because that yes. that, that is a projection onto his story and narrative as he knows it. So, is your background in psychology? No, not at all. <laughs> because you're so good, Damon. Thank I mean, you. you are. And I've listened to these podcasts. I'm like, this guy has to have a background in psychology. He's <laughs> right on point. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Bless Thank you so spouse. much. Well, I mean... Well, he, I'm sure if she could get on the phone right now, she'd be like, listen, this is not the guy that I, <laughs> I live with. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But thank you. That's very yeah. kind of you to, to say. Yes. So how well, how did your – did you already tell me? How was your first sort of phone conversation with him? How did your first connection go? So I've only had – I'm not much of a phone talker, but I've had one conversation with David back in, it was the day after Thanksgiving. It was probably an hour long. It was awkward. He's definitely more of a talker than I am. Hmm. I didn't really have any feelings one way or the other. I was glad glad to have gotten it out of the way. I'm a person that very much compartmentalizes things. And when my brother died in March of 2021, we were unable to have a service for him because of COVID. So I despite my introduction with David being seven, seven months had passed, I still want needed to complete 
my brothers yeah goodbye before i could start with this and so i had told david that so we were finally able to have a service for my brother a year after his death so th this march and after that i i kind of started recommunicating with him but mm -hmm. no phone calls just the story were stories and an occasional email mm -hmm. he initially he would very much like my own father would send me these funny emails you know here's an article you might like or a joke of the day and i'm like oh my god he's so much like my dad in that way mm -hmm. and i never really replied so he kind of stopped which is fine i don't need any more junk mail yeah that's that's really interesting to hear the likeness between your dad but i want to point out something to you that i'm not even sure you picked up on you said you spoke with him the day after thanksgiving and you didn't feel any kind of way about it but then you kind of criticized him for when you asked him some questions and he didn't feel any kind of way about some of the things you asked like this uh -huh. you guys are have similar responses but you're Parallel, in a position yes. of criticality over him, but I just heard you say the same thing. <laughs> you're good. You're so good. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So it's, it's glaring. Maybe you're more like him than you think. <laughs> well, yeah, there's definitely similarities that I found. Yeah. You know, and communicating with him. And we're both nap lovers and we both like podcasts. And mm -hmm. um, you know, those are the things that that really intrigue me. Oh, I'm like this person. Oh, we share. XYZ. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get to a point where you were ready to actually meet each other? Well, like I said, once we were able to put my brother to rest, I kind of threw out some dates. Hey, if you're, he had told me initially, I'm happy to meet you. I'm, I'll travel to where you are, or maybe we can meet in Kansas city. And so I said, Hey, let's talk about dates. And I included cousin Jeff and he threw out this date in September. And I said, okay. And then maybe in July, I sent a follow-up email. Are these dates still firm? Let's plan. And we kind of got the ball rolling. That's incredible. So here we are on the court. Very good. <laughs> yes. So you're so, here. This is September 17th, 2022. Tomorrow you meet your biological father for the first time. You're in Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri? Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, at the Hilton President, mm -hmm. ninth floor. Very good. Yeah, pacing. The carpet has holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> how, are, how are you feeling, um, honestly, about meeting him tomorrow? Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. So nervous. So, yeah, I am a bundle of nerves. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to meet for lunch at the hotel restaurant, which is fine. But I know I'm not going to be able to eat Um I just feel like that table is going to be occupied for hours. <laughs> yeah. Listen, the number of wait staff that have wondered why these people are sitting there for hours and hours, not realizing that a, a biological reunion is happening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to share something with you. Sure. That is funny. Growing up, I, I, I kind of did share how difficult school and learning was for me and that the unspoken expectation is you graduate high school, you go straight on to college, period. I always blamed this difficulty on being adopted. You know, well, I'm adopted. Well, it turns out that my biological father also has a PhD, is <laughs> mm. very well educated, and my biological mother has a master's degree in something. So I can't really blame this on being adopted. Mm -hmm. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this also goes to show, like, one of the things that I find happens is adoptive parents sometimes adopt and 
we all as parents have certain expectations for our children, right? We know what we strive for, what we are capable of, and we think we know what our children can strive for, should strive for, and are capable of. And sometimes they don't marry up. And your expectations for your child, either in their interests or their capability for achievement, are not met. Sometimes it's they're an overachiever in something where you never thought they had a skill while they <laughs> underachieve in places where you were really hopeful they would be talented. And right. and I think that this goes to show that no matter what, your expectations are unlikely to be met. You are a person of two highly intelligent biological parents and two highly intelligent sounds like, you know, adoptive <laughs> yes. parents. And you're, you struggled to learn, and that's fine, but there it just goes to show no matter where you were, the expectation might have been for you to be something different than you are, and you could not have met those expectations. And I just think it's important so to underscore true. So right, true. that parents, yeah. we just have to give our kids a break, recognize they're going to find their interests, they're going to find their talents and their strengths. And your expectations yes. are unlikely to be met. Is <laughs> all yes, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's adoption or biological upbringing. Very true, and I've experienced that with my stepson. So yeah, I, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've never had kids of my own, so I kind of have missed that portion. But I have stepsons, so I I have a piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Lisa, this is wonderful. I'm I'm excited for you. you. I know you're nervous, but I think this is going to be wonderful, <laughs> and I'm I can't wait to hear what happens in yes. the aftermath. So what we I'm going to do is, yeah, let's stay in touch. What I want to do is I'm going to give you space because a lot sure. of things are going to happen in reunion and there's the, there's the actual physical reunion and then there will be the aftermath. Yeah. And I I've see been learning about then. that a lot Yeah, on your listening to your show. Yeah. yeah. So it's going it. to, it'll be a while before I, I want to talk to you again because I want to give this no thing problem. space to breathe and it's going to, not a problem. It's going to do its own thing. One, one thing that we didn't talk about though was your biological mother. Do you, do you want to share a little bit about whether you've searched for her and what's going on there? So I, I have the connection with her oldest son and he doesn't want anything else. All my information has come from internet searching and mm-hmm. you can't get a lot. Although she's very under the radar compared to her kids and her husband. So I, I'm, she's not very present mm-hmm. compared to her husband. Yeah. I understand. It doesn't look like, it looks like pretty much she was a stay at home mom. So there's no work history or education history to kind of tease through what her interests are or were, or yeah, it's, it's interesting, but she lives, she lives 10 minutes away from where my grandparents lived up in Northern California. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Really interesting. (laughs) She, you know, my brother went to UC Santa Cruz. She lives 10 minutes from there. Oh, wow. Awesome. (laughs) It's, it's weird. Well, Lisa, I'm going to wish you all the best in your reunion with your cousin tonight, your birth father tomorrow. That's just, You've got a big I I got emotional weekend. Thank I would encourage you. you to take some space too. Like, it's going to be a lot on your heart. And oh, mind. I'm going to Vegas after this. There you go. There you go. Just <laughs> yeah. get away and have some some space right. for yourself. Good. That's right. All right. All right, Damon. Thank you so much. Sure. It's been a pleasure. Take care, Lisa. All, right. All the best. I'll talk you to you too. another time. Take good bye-bye. care. All right. Bye bye. Hey, it's me. Lisa shared that she perceived she was adopted as a band-aid to an already failing relationship between her parents. 
It's common for people to think that creating a family and having a child will somehow heal what's wrong in a relationship. But the truth is, adding a child to the mix adds an incalculable level of complexity to any relationship. After their divorce, Lisa was shuttled between their homes with her older brother acting as her advocate, reminding their parents that they were coordinating the life of a child, not some commodity to be taken for granted. Lisa got lucky and we caught one another in a moment preceding her meeting with her cousin and her biological father. Like I said, I gave Lisa some time to let her reunion experience sink in and evolve. Later this season, I'll share the rest of her journey with you. Until then, I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Lisa's journey that inspired you, validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? If you would like to share your story of adoption and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow me on Instagram at Damon L. Davis or follow the podcast at WAI Really. If you like the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star review in your podcast app. It makes me so happy to see the podcast ratings count going up because I know the show is reaching people and that's the goal. Your ratings really do help others to find the podcast too.